I was about six. I was sharing a bedroom with my sister Sharon. I woke up in the middle of the night and there's a man wearing a suit standing between our beds. I said to this man, who are you? He turned to me and said, who are you? Because I'm talking, I woke up my sister and she looks at me and says, who are you talking to? And I said, this man standing in the bedroom. But my sister could not see him at all. She ended up turning on the light and he was still there. He was as physical as a human being standing there in a suit. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters the podcast inspired by my book about women's experiences of the paranormal. I'm your host, Karina Machado, and I'm thrilled that you're here. Today's show is the first of a double episode, which I believe you're going to love. My guest is Dr. Linda Kramer, who was recently awarded her PhD in metaphysics. Linda is an author, psychic medium, and near-death experiencer from Brisbane, Australia. She's been seeing and communicating with ghosts and spirits since she was a toddler. I spent an enjoyable and enlightening couple of hours with Linda talking about ghosts, spirits, the difference between those, phone calls from heaven, the purpose of life and her wonderfully detailed near-death experience which is coming up in part two. But as we talked I noticed something that no doubt you will pick up on as well. There seemed to be another conversation going on beneath ours. At first I thought someone had the television on in another room, either in my home or Linda's. Both of these suspicions were ruled out. Then I wondered if it was music my daughter had on upstairs, but I'd asked her to turn the volume down before I started, and it just didn't seem like music anyway. It mostly sounds like distant chatter. And then there are some moments that are downright spine-tingling in their clarity. I've time-stamped parts I found most baffling, but I'm not going to alert you to them because I want to hear from you first. So, calling all experts or even dabblers in EVP, electronic voice phenomena, I want to hear your thoughts on this intriguing double episode because it's right through both. As exciting as all of that is though, I hope it doesn't distract you from the topics Linda covers here which took me back to my earliest fascination with the spirit world and the question of ghosts. Did you know that the expression on a ghost's face is usually utter astonishment that someone has actually seen them? Here's Linda to tell you all about that, as well as the many encounters she's had over the years with people who've crossed over yet refused to accept that their time on earth has come to an end. Always she responds to them with respect and compassion. 
Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Linda. Thank you for having me today. It's an honour to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here and we have got so much to talk about. Your story is so multifaceted. <laughs> you are a, an ordained minister. You have your PhD in metaphysics. You're a spiritual counsellor, a psychic medium, a near-death experiencer, an author. But Linda, to begin our conversation, I want to pick out one thing you said to me earlier when we very first spoke, you said... Mm -hmm. I've always seen and spoken to dead people. And that that's right. like a line from a movie. <laughs> well, I think it is like <laughs> a line from a movie. So tell me about that. I'm now 54 and I honestly cannot remember a time in my childhood where I didn't see things that other people didn't see. You know, even people say to me, oh, what's your first memory? And I've got to sit there and I think, well, I was a baby in hospital. Um, I was a sickly child. Mum was told that I'd need heart, lung and kidney transplants. I never had dialysis. I've never been in any operations. You know, 2016, I was diagnosed with a brain tumour. I do not have a brain tumour now. It's gone because I've healed it or they healed it. I also broke my neck in, when I was 20. I don't, I still have C2 and C3 aren't connected in my neck, but I'm not a quadriplegic. Hello. I've always had this innate ability. I call it innate because it is natural for me. I've had it since birth. You know, people say to me, what is my first experience as a child? Um, I was in hospital. I was still wearing a nappy. So I'm about a year, a year and a half old and I'm sitting on a bed and I wasn't alone on the bed. There was other people sitting there like a shadow figure type thing with me, telling me it was going to be all right, telling me things that I was going to do. You know, even as a like 18-month-old baby, I knew that what I was doing was natural. So it's innate. So I've always seen ghosts. I've always seen spirit forms coming through. I've always known things like a psychic does. Um, to me, it's just normal, you know? So, yeah, so it's it's pretty easy for me to explain it to other people but for somebody else who hasn't got these abilities that I do especially when trees and clothing start to talk to me they think what the hell is this what planet is this woman on um, because I've got to explain how I get the information and how it comes through yeah just take it from there answer wow. questions which is why I'm here today well ask away thank you I, I, I love I love answering questions that's yeah. fantastic. Well, I've got plenty for you. First of all, well, second, tell us about the, the last ghost you saw because I know you see them every day. Yes, I do. I live in a just a typical Brisbane three-bedroom house. I've got three ghosts here at the moment. One's a dog. He runs through under my dining room table every couple of days. You see his tail sticking up. He's got this tail that sticks up, but it's all like furry. Um, he runs through the house. I've got a little girl here who plays games. Do you know she hid my credit card last week? No. What? So do you know who she is and what era she's from? Yes, I know. Um, I've, I had a friend who moved into a new house with her husband. And about three days after they were there, they rang me up and said, oh, my God, Linda, we wake up through the middle of the night and there's a girl standing at the end of our bed. So I said, I'll be there in half an hour. So as soon as I walked into their bedroom, there she was, this little girl, probably three years old, and she looks at me 
And I look at her and she says, where's Dave? I don't know, Dave? <laughs> Who's Dave? So I went back out to my friends and I said, do you know who Dave is? And they said, no idea. But then the husband said, oh, hang on, we've got the old lease here. We'll have a look. Sure enough, this guy's name was David that used to live in their house. So he, he'd rented that house because it was on the lease. He'd been there for about 10 years before he moved out. So this little girl obviously knew David was in the house. So I said to them, you know, it's up to you whether you want this little girl here. You know, she's not going to be trouble for you. She's just intrigued. She likes being near you. They said, get rid of her. So I went back into the bedroom and I sat down with her on the bed and I said, darling, you know what, I've got a little girl. Would you like to come home and play with her? So when I left, I looked in the back seat and I could see her in the back of my car. So she came home with me about two and a half years ago. She's been here ever since. Um, little mongrel. <laughs> which tell is what, tell us what she looks like. Tell us how you see her. Does, does it look like a flesh and blood person sitting there? Some, some days it's like you sitting in front of me. Other times, okay, I explain it like this. At night, when you're inside your house and you've got your lights on, have a look at your reflection in the glass because it's translucent. You can see through it. Sometimes she appears like that. It all depends on what their energy frequency is, um, how much energy that they can like, produce at that time. So sometimes she can stand there just like you are right in front of me now. Flesh and blood where you can see the like wrinkles, freckles, you know, they stick their tongue out and you can see all the lines on their tongue. It is that vivid. But other times, yeah, but other times she's just like a little translucent being in my house. And what is her story, Linda? What is her story? I don't know. She's only about three. She doesn't tell me much. She doesn't even know her name. And what, what does she look like? Is she always wearing the same thing? No, which is, hello. I say it like this. We think, we create. Sometimes she's got a hair in plaits coming down the side of her head. Um, her hair's not as long as mine. It goes about two inches past her shoulder, so it would be about that long. Okay. So she's got two little plaits sometimes. Sometimes it's all frizzy. Sometimes it's combed. But she's only about three years old. She mostly comes through in a little pink dress, which is so cute for a three-year-old in a little pink dress. But sometimes she's there in her pyjamas, etc., as well. You know, so it really does depend on what she wants to wear on the day when she pops in. The other day I was sitting here with my daughter. We actually had to go up to the shops. My daughter went in to get change. She could not find her jeans. We searched the whole house for her pair of jeans. They were gone. So I came out here and I thought, Tashi, that's my daughter, by the way, just put on anything. We're only going up to the shops. We'll be home in 10 minutes. So I went in to put on my jeans and they were gone as well. Couldn't find them. Could not, you know, you search the laundry. You look, you look in all your cupboards. You, I even searched Tashi's cupboards to see if I put them in there by mistake. Gone. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just wear my track pants up to the shop, grabbed my handbag, went up to the shop, Went to pay for the groceries. Where's my credit card? Oh, heck. Uh, I'll be back in 10 minutes. So I came home and I always put my credit card in one spot like we do. So I came home, put my bag down. I'm searching the whole house now for where's my damn credit card because I knew, you know, you always know where you have your credit card. 
So I come into my lounge room and I just said, you know what, baby? It's so cool and you want to play games with me? You know, you hit Tashi's pants, you hit my pants, now you're taking my credit card. You want us to stay here today, I understand that, but you know what, we've got to go and get some groceries and we'll be home and if you want to come out, you can play with us. So I put this, um, I've got this little stuffed dog, a little animal dog, I put it on the floor. My dining room floor is quite open, there's nothing on the floor. So I put this little dog on the floor, got in and I said, you know what, babe, I need my credit card back. I went to the bathroom, walked back, and there's not only Tashi's pants are now on the chair, my credit card is sitting on the bench right next to my bag. Oh, She wow. put them back. What an amazing thing. I, I find it hard to fathom such um, direct communication with the spirit world, you know. Your, yeah. Your request answered immediately. Like, that is a, I think it's a rare thing. It's, you, you can't miss two pairs of jeans yeah. sitting on the chair, you know? They were both there, nicely folded. So one of the questions that I want to delve into, explore, document, where do those jeans go during that time that she took them until she brings them back? Because we searched this whole house and they weren't here. So that's something that is a big um, topic of discussion with me. I love to debate it. When they move things and take things, where do they actually go? Or should I say, not where do they go, when do they go? When because there's they... no time. Mm. There's mm. no time. You've got to remember this. So is it a, like a time displacement type thing where they put them like three years ahead or three years back? Or do they take them into a different um, dimension? Because you've got to remember, spirits are on a different dimension, whether it's the fifth to the ninth or even if it's the 28th dimension. Um, I think that's how many that they've now discovered. But I like sticking with the five dimension. I think that's where they go. I can talk for you for two hours. just. Well, that's, that's a really interesting point. And you've touched on something that also fascinates me because they, what you're describing is the apports that, are, that some physical mediums are able to bring in some, some in broad daylight, I know um, a, a wonderful friend of mine is able to do this. And, you know, and I'm aware I've read about seances where the spirits will send, for instance, a newly minted coin from 1905 and it's brand. That's right. So where was it? Where did they get it from? Or they might send, you know, jewellery or they might send a newspaper that is in mint condition from the past. So That's it's, right. It's just extraordinary. And it seems like your genes went temporarily to wherever those reports come from yes but you know as long as she brings them back that's the main thing so do you i mean we'll talk more about the different kinds of spirits soon but it sounds like she is in visitation like she's quite happy to be with you and wants to be there yeah. with you, that she's not stuck is that what you believe about her or do you think she's stuck? I think she doesn't know what's happened to her. Right. Okay. You know, I've written a book, Ghosts Exposed, and in there I've got like a diagram of what has happened to us when we die. Some people stay earthbound, some people do go to heaven. Why they stay earthbound is sometimes they just don't know they're dead. Mm. And I think that's the... the factor here with this little girl in my house you know I just call her baby cakes 
<laughs> you know, hey, baby cakes, where are you? You want to come out and play today? If something does move behind me, please don't get alarmed because she does <laughs> move things around in the house. When I came home from buying the, when I finally got my card the other day, came home, the dog had moved about four foot off the floor. So, you know, there's no one else in the house. It had to be her, you know, so. Oh, um, the little stuffed dog, you mean? The yeah, 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 the little stuffed dog, just to um, end that story. The dog right. did move. I put it on the floor and it did move when we came home. You know, my daughter, she doesn't get shocked by it. You know, she, she talks to them. How old she is she? Them. How old is Tash? She's just turned 14. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know whether she actually sees them or she's just going along with what I say at this point. But I know that she does see her grandfather when she goes to her dad's house, her dad's dad. So I know that she's got the ability to do this as well. Okay. You know, so I, I don't let her get scared by it. You know, we talk about it quite often. So, you know, it's the thing that I didn't have when I was a teenager. There was nobody that actually came to me and said, you know what, Linda, this is normal. Yeah. And that's that's one of the biggest things that I, if there was a regret, because I don't have any regrets, but that's one of the things that I do regret about my younger years is that nobody actually came out and said, you know what, it's okay. Because I was always told it was wrong. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, um, I do want to know a bit more about your childhood and and those mm-hmm. memories. And I think um, what we're doing today is kind of creating or helping to create that sense of community around people like you yeah. who have these experiences. So that's why this conversation, you know, is valuable and I'm grateful for your time. But mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier your first memory of seeing a ghost and you told us about being, you know, the toddler in the nappies and the people on your bed. What about... Your memory, your first memory of seeing a ghost that is as visible as perhaps Baby Cakes is to you today. <laughs> How old would you have been? Who was it? I was about six. I was sharing a bedroom with my sister Sharon. Our bedroom, you walk in, there was a window against a wall and our two beds came out on either side of the other walls. I woke up in the middle of the night and there's a man wearing a suit standing between our beds. So I said to this man, who are you? He turned to me and said, who are you? So because I'm talking, I woke up my sister and she looks at me and says, who are you talking to? And I said, this man standing in the bedroom. I wasn't scared of him, but my sister could not see him at all. She ended up turning on the light and he was still there. He was as physical as a human being standing there in a suit. But all I really remember, as apart from his conversation, was the fact that my sister got out of bed, ran down the hallway to my mum and dad's bedroom, and as she's running, she's screaming out, Mum, she's doing it again. (laughs) So it wasn't the first time that you'd spooked them, yeah. No. So, you know, well, that's the thing. You know, they were spooked because they didn't know what I was doing. You know, they, and they didn't question me. That was the thing. You know, if you see a child doing something weird, the first thing I'd say was, what are you doing? You know, they never said that. They just, you know, it was just, don't do that. They put that barrier up straight away. Don't do that. So, yeah, so it was a little bit frustrating for me growing up, you know, that um, I thought that I was bad because I had it, you know. And as, as I now know, we've all got psychic ability, you know. It's, it's just how much that we want to um, invest, if you want to call it invest, how much time and effort we want to actually put into 
learning what we've got. Okay. But do you yeah. think that some people have more of an innate talent perhaps than others that we've all got oh, something, but yeah, that's right. Okay. We all have something. Um, it's discovering what that something is yeah. and then running with it. If we have the time and the energy to do it, you know, you may be born and you're a brilliant, I don't know, brilliant carpenter, but these days, seriously, how many jobs are out there for woodcarvers? Yeah. So you go to school, you learn mechanics, so now you're going into um, building cars or whatever, but you're not doing what your innate ability is. You know, we get distractions with life. We get, um, you know, obviously we've got bills to pay, you know, on top of everything else that we've got to do in our existence. So we do get that big distraction with um, work, with lifestyle, you know, friends wanting to see us, you know. We mm. can't just close ourselves off in a wood cabin in the woods just say, well, this is what I'm going to commit myself to. It doesn't work like that. So we've just got to find that happy medium between what we do and what we're passionate about as well. Do you think, though, that if we don't make some effort to pursue that, that heart's passion, that it is to our detriment in some way or another? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, look at the stats these days. They're saying here in Australia, one in four have a mental health problem. That's diagnosed. How many people out there haven't been to a doctor and saying you know what i'm stressed i don't like my job i don't like my co-workers i'm getting bullied i don't like the job i've got i don't like my neighbors i don't like my friends i don't like my relatives we don't we're not that raw enough to actually say you know we, we need help with and then you get this little thing that's like oh yeah i've got a friend that's giving me grief i've got my job that's not working out i've got this thing working out collectively it all comes together and people are having these meltdowns and they don't even understand because they think it's normal to have these meltdowns. And it's not. Because if, if, you know, this is where I go back with, especially what I do, if someone had come to me when I was about 10 and said, you know what, how about we have a class where you can be what you want to be with this psychic stuff that I do? If they had given me that opportunity through the curriculum of the schooling, etc., instead of the doctorinated curriculum from the government, then we'd get a job ultimately that we're passionate about, that we're happy about, that we love, there'd be no stress. So mental health would come down if we all did what we actually did want to do. Oh, I you know, I've, yeah, you know, I've got a friend right now, he's been a truck driver for 15 years. He hates it. You know, he gets up at two in the morning. He gets home at about six o'clock at night. He's got no life, no friends. You know, he's struggling emotionally because he's got to pay his bills. Mm -hmm. And he said to me the other day, he said, oh, my God, you know, I just feel like giving it all up and just starting Reiki. And I said, well, why don't you? Without even hinching, flinching, I said, why don't you? Because his mental health is going to improve. It will raise his own energy levels and his vibrational levels. You know, he'll start being a far better person. It's very sad that we're not looking like, you know, we as a society, not individually, but society looks at people who are doing things differently. They really do criticise and put them down. We don't conform to what society dictates, Yeah. you know. So, you know, as soon as you say that, you, geez, you know, 54 years I've been on this planet. Yeah, it's been a bit of a hell <laughs> up until about three years ago where I just stuck and I'm not going to work anymore and I do this full time now. Everything you've just touched on is so interesting and it can be the subject of an entirely, you know, an entire <laughs> discussion on its own. And also I love that idea that when we do 
tap into our passions and tap into that spiritual dimension, we are going to be happier people and have improved mental health. So there's, that's all, you know, very interesting to talk about. But before we continue, and I I think we'll come back to that, Linda, but I just want to go back to the man in the suit when you were six years old and you saw him. So it doesn't sound like that was the first spirit you'd seen because your sister ran to your parents and said, he's doing it again. Now, what I do find like particularly fascinating about that story of the old gentleman is that he looked at you and said, why are you here? Which is very much that sentient That's spirit. You right. know, and I, I'm fascinated by that. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that idea that ghosts can be just as astonished to see us as we are to see them. Tell us about yes. that and share other moments where ghosts have reacted in this way to you. You know, I find it funny that ghosts will sit in a room and they can look around, observe, but when you actually make eye contact with them, there's a look. Now, I know this is not video today, but the look is this. It's just, oh, my God, sources for eyes, your jaw hits the floor, and it's like, my God, you can see me. I find that a lot. You know, I'll go into someone's house and when they see that I see them, you know, I, I see you seeing me seeing you type thing, it's a shock to them because they're so used to people not seeing them. A lady rang me up and she said, just moved into a house. We just bought this house. We're going to renovate it. As soon as we started peeling off the wallpaper, Saucepans are flying around the kitchen, doors are opening up and shutting or slamming, pot plants are getting knocked over, all this stuff's happening. Can you please come out and tell me what's in the house? So I'd never met this lady. I went over to her house over at Ipswich. And when I pulled up, it's an old Queensland, probably built in the 20s. On the front veranda is sitting this old lady. So I didn't know whether she was like you just sitting in front of me. I didn't know if this was the lady I spoke to on the phone. So That's how real she was. <laughs> yeah. So I walked through the front little gate and I'm walking up the garden path and I just smile at her and say, hello. Instantly she stands up with her hands on her hips and she says, who are you? Get out of my house. And I thought, hmm, that's nice. So I said, well, my name's Linda. You rang me. Because I, I, I thought she was a human being at this point. So then the front door opens and this other woman comes out. She says, oh, who are you talking to? So I point to the old lady who's still there. She says, Linda, there's no one sitting there. And I said, I'd like you to meet this old lady. There's an old lady here. Um, I'm talking to the lady while the old lady's still sitting there. And I said, tell me what's going on. And she said, oh, we moved in here three weeks ago. We're starting to renovate. As soon as she said the word renovate, this woman, the old lady, stands up, why are you in my house? Get out! Mm. Then, no, no joke, this, she picks up a pot plant and she throws it. So the woman who's now in the house, all she sees is this pot plant fly past her head and smash into a wall. She looks at me and she says, oh, my God, what happened then? And I said, well, she just picked it up and threw it at you because she doesn't like you being in her house. I said to the lady, you know, the one who now lives there, I said, do you mind just going inside? I want to have a chat with this old woman. 
So she went inside and I'm sitting on the front veranda talking to this person who's not really there anymore. And I said, look, honey, you know, you've got to understand this lady is now the lawful owner of this house. She's just bought it. She wants to start changing how she lives here. This isn't her house. It's my house. We bought this place in 1923. You know, we own this house for 45 years. And I said, well, where do you live now? She said, here. And I said, well, darling, where's your husband? He died six years ago. And I said, oh, well, what year was that? 1972 or whatever. So this woman's been hanging around this house for a long time after her own death. She doesn't realise that she's died because she's so passionate about her house that she's staying there. She doesn't want anyone else to live there. So I explained this to the woman who just bought the house and I said, look, you're not going to get rid of this lady at all. You've just got to learn to live with her. So about three weeks later, I get a phone call from her and she said, Linda, we gave up renovating. We're moving out. We're selling the house. We can't handle the activity in the house because she hates us so much. I just said to her, good luck to the new owners. So <laughs> Linda, in that situation, you don't think that, you know, because sometimes you're able to move them on or show them that there's the light or another way to, to live, another place to be. But in this instance, yes. you don't think that would have worked with her? Oh, no. You know, um, one thing that a lot of psychic mediums say in their bios and their advertising, they say, oh, I'm a good medium because I can pass people on to the white light. If that energy associated to that person does not want to move, Anything you do will just upset them even more. I had Shelley here for three days. I ended up showing her the white light. Um, so this is from evidence based on my experience where I talk from. She was looking into the vortex to go home, the white light, but she would not go in there because she did not believe she was dead. And I want to talk more about the Shelley story because it's absolutely extraordinary. I I want to talk a little bit more about your childhood and what happened and then we're going to get to it in a minute mm -hmm. because it is an amazing story and I want everyone to yeah. hear it. But as you describe your experiences, they're just, they're just marvellous. Marvellous is a word that comes <laughs> to mind, you know. They're just the stuff that you, yeah. you see in the movies and read about. But, Linda, as you mentioned earlier, as a child, you were very unwell. Now, yes, I've spoken to, over the years through my books and my podcasts, I've interviewed a lot of people who now realise they're psychic mediums. And that seems to be a common denominator. Sickness, Abs either in yes. physical sickness, either in childhood or still. I wonder what part you think this played, if any, in the unfoldment of your gifts? I've given this a lot of thought. You know, we get a head cold every now and again. I find that when I get even a head cold, my psychic abilities go through the roof. So this isn't, again, just me surmising a theory. This is me basing it on evidence and facts of what has happened to me. Um, when I was a child, I was a very sick kid. I, I actually didn't get out of hospital till I was about two and a half years old. Even when I went home, you know, I don't have very many memories up until about six, which is when I saw that old guy standing next to the bed. But what I thoroughly believe here, based on my experience and listening to others that um, like sickly as well, when we're healthy, um, strong, etc., 
we're not tuned in as much because our energy is such strength in itself. But as we, um, like our health or physical beings deteriorate, what happens then is that we can tap into these other dimensions where they can come through and help us more easily with their energy, etc. So basically, as a child for me, being so sick, I thoroughly believe that if I didn't have a near-death experience, I had a very, very close call to it. Because once I went up to heaven in 2001 with my near-death experience, I woke up with every ability, every ability that you can think of I, ha I have, because I had it once I woke up and I've still got most of them. But it's when I get sick is when they really play up. I have more lucid dreams that come true three days later. I dream of people that I'm going to meet three days later. You know, lotto numbers come to me when I'm sick. I have far better readings with people when I'm sick. You know, I've even sat there and thought, okay, where's my energy at today out of 100? You know, put a percentage on this. What's my levels of this and that? Um, will I be able to do readings today? You know, obviously there are days when you just feel bluk where you don't want to do a reading. But it's even in those points where the information that I receive is just so accurate and more on point to what's being asked or said. So, yes, I've got to agree that there is a high connection between illnesses and ESP or psychic abilities. Like I know my daughter, she was three months preemie, even when she was a child and she'd tell me about her grandfather, some of the stories that she said, which we've never mentioned these sort of stories, you know. So I know that she's like tuned in because she's had that closeness to her own death as well. You know, the more healthier a person is all their life, the less they have to rely on it. There's a word, rely. Yeah. You know, they don't have to rely on getting that information to come through. And if, if we extend it to encompass the idea that what we put our attention on grows, I guess Absolutely. when we're physically ill, we're vulnerable and the attention is not so much on the strength of our physical beings and our bodies and maybe that's like a portal. Or, or that's right. And, and Linda, so when you were little, there was a moment, I know that, to some extent, you weren't comfortable with what you could see. And tell us about the time that you yelled out to the universe to take the ability away from you. How old were you then and what happened? I would have been eight. I got to admit, you know, as a child, when people come to you, it's not always in their best form. You know, I've seen ghosts where they're missing arms, shattered legs, half a head mm. it's it's horrible especially when you start dreaming about plane crashes and the injuries sustained so not all the the visions or people that i see are healthy looking they can present with massively graphic injuries if you watch the movie the sixth sense there's a scene where the little boy's in the car with his mum and they're in the traffic and the mum says oh my god i think there's an accident ahead and the little boy looks out the window and there's a lady on the bike that's just been hit by the car. She's actually quite graphic. So I, when I was about eight, I fully understand. I relate to that movie so well because when they present with their injuries, it's very graphic, you know, still blood coming down. Oh, God, it's horrible to think about it. 
So I was lying in bed this one night and this man was in front of me with massive injuries um, from whatever happened to him. And I remember pulling up the blankets. I'm under the blankets and I'm thinking, please don't be there, please don't be there, please go away. So it's like the boy out of the sense where he used to be in his tent yeah. and hide from them. Yeah. I love the reality that yeah. they actually put into these, you know. So I'm sitting there and I, I, I like peer out of the blankets and he's still there and I just said, go away, go away. I don't, you know, I'm so, you know, petrified of seeing what his injuries were. So then I'm under the blankets and I started praying and I'm just looking up like, up above the blankets and I'm thinking, please take this away, please take this away, I don't want this anymore, don't, I don't want to do this anymore, I can't deal with it. They listened, when I say they, it's capital T, for them in heaven or my archangels or spirit guides or whatever you want to call them, but they did listen to me for about two years um, because when I was 11 we went over to the UK and my dad went over there because of the Air Force and... His hobby was every weekend we'd go to castles. You know, I've got some vivid, pretty good memories of where we've been in these castles where, you know, the ancient medieval stone-built castles and they had all their rooms, like, roped off with red velvet drape um, rope so you can't go into the rooms to touch all the antique furniture, etc. And I'm sitting there in this crowd of people going through on this tour through the some castle, and over by the window is this lady dressed in medieval dresses, in a dress. You know, she's got the big headwear on like um, Anne Boleyn would wear mm. on the top with her, all her hair pulled up. So I, I just turned to my mum and I said, Mum, who's that? So mum's looking at the window, looking at me, and she says, shh, shut up, Linda, you're embarrassing me. So this lady was looking at me. She was waving, you know, mm. hello, you know, thank you for being here. But, she, you know, if she'd actually come over to me, I couldn't get to her because I wasn't allowed into the room. But, you know, I've got a few stories like that where I'm walking through the castle and there's people carrying around big, serve, like, silver platters, you know, three-foot-long platters with, like, half a pig on it, taking it to a banquet type thing. So um, I saw a lot of ghosts in the UK. That's um, fascinating. Do you remember the names yeah. of any of the castles you visited? We went to virtually every castle in the UK. Okay. <coughs> yes, we lived at Putney, which is just south of um, London. Um, I went to an all-girls school, which was had royalty there as well. Um, so, you know, when you say, oh, we're going over to Edinburgh Castle this weekend to check it out, you know, some royal lady sitting in my class would say, oh, that's my auntie's house. Every castle that we went to, I saw stuff, you know, but I just learned, don't talk about it, Linda, you know, because the more I spoke about it, mum and dad would just freak out. My sisters would go nuts and run away. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was very interesting as a child. That's fascinating. Yeah. So how many years did you live in the UK? Um, only two. Okay. Yeah, I came back here when I was about 13. Okay, yeah. so you said that the spirit world uh, granted your request at the time that you were eight and you saw that man and you were so frightened, but then it came back. It, yes, it yeah. came back. Okay. So it wasn't until I was about 22. Um, I had a dream about a plane crash, which three days later it was on the news. 
there was about 20 witnesses who knew what happened. I even got the flight number. I knew names of people on the plane. I dreamt all this three days before the plane crashed. You know, and when I actually went up to the news agency and I saw the newspaper with the headlines, plane crash and all these people were dead, I actually sat there and I thought, I've really got to do this again. So came home, said like a prayer to the universe. You know, I told you once to take this away because I've, I've never forgotten the fact that I was told them to take it away, um, which they have a sense of humour with. You know, sometimes they say, ah, ah, ah. Um, So I asked to get it back and I did, which was awesome. I thought I had a lot of gifts in my 20s and early 30s, but what happened to me at in May 2001, oh boy, that was the big opener for me. Whether they gave me that opportunity as like a test, are you serious, you want to do this? You know, because that's what I say to people. You know, if you do want to open your eyes and get onto that frequency of being a psychic, they will send you tests. Mm. They will give you opportunities to use it and to see how you react or respond to what is in front of you. Mm -hmm. So... You know, um, I'll just tangent here. A girl rang me up and she said, oh, I really want to be a psychic medium. And I said to her, well, if you do want to be a psychic, all you've got to do is ask. So we did this little thing where we were asking the universe that if they wish her to have be a medium, please let her see a ghost. Two nights later, she rang me at about 10 o'clock. I thought someone was breaking into a house. Oh, Linda, Linda, quick, quick, quick. Oh, my God. I said, what happened? And she said, oh, my God, I just saw a shadow walking down the corridor. And I said, that's awesome. You asked to be a medium. You've seen one. <laughs> she said, no, tell them to take it away. I don't want it anymore. It scared me too much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people think it's really cool what we do, but, you know, there is a fear to it, you know, if you're not used to what you, what you see and how you get the information. Well, especially when you're eight years old, as you described, and you see this person who looks graphic, as you said. So just to briefly touch on that, do you think that, so he was perhaps the victim of an accident that had just taken place or some incident that had just taken place and he found his way to you because you know how they say that spirit medium, uh, psychic mediums shine like a beacon to the spirit world. So he That's was just, right. he just found you. Yes. Do you think like he was in your area? What do you think was his situation there? And why did you <clears> see him? I'm, I'm going to pull you up with one thing that you just said there. Yeah, please area, do. Area. You've got to remember there's no time and no space. You know, I can think something now and it can be 300 years ago. So even though I'm sitting here now in Brisbane, Australia, I can instantly be in Austria. It's weird when you think of there's no time and there is no space. So when spirits are around, of course, they're, they're because it's a frequency does attract like energy. You know, you've got to remember each frequency is an energetic force. Are made up of neutral, positive and negative, which is our protons, neutrons and electrons. So what happens is when we are happy, as said, so people can relate, when we're in a happy mood, we attract other happy people. If you're in a foul mood, it's funny how you'll go out to the shops or somewhere and somewhere you'll meet somebody else in the same energetic or frequency that you relate to so yes spirits can pick up like a beacon like you said um, when there are psychic mediums around yes of course they can yes but do you think that there's some resonance between 
you and that so was there something in particular that drew that man to you that night when you were eight years old i wish he'd given me that information but because i got so scared and i freaked out and i put the covers up over my head i didn't find out i I didn't find out yeah so now being in my 50s you know when they do come to me now i can sit there rationally calmly and i can think of the questions to ask them while they're there with me what happened how do you feel where were you i can think of all that like with shelly that we're going to discuss yes so so it doesn't scare me anymore because i'm just so used to it now whereas shelly yeah okay a man rang me on a sunday night and he said i've got to come now and i said well darling you're an hour's drive away it's now eight o'clock you know we go to bed in an hour my daughter's got to go to school blah 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 So I said to him, come over tomorrow night after work. So about six o'clock, he pulled up outside my house. I heard the car, so I looked out the window to see if it was him at my house. He was driving and there was a young girl, probably about 17, in the passenger seat beside him. So as he got out and came into my house, she followed him. So he walked into my house. She followed. And I said to him, why are you here? What's happened? He said, I went over to Fraser Island, which is off the Queensland coast. I went over there for a spiritual spiritual retreat. I left on Friday night, got the ferry Friday night, and I came back on Sunday. But all Sunday afternoon, while I was over on Fraser, it was like someone standing behind me. So I'm looking at this girl, and she's just looking around inside my house, admiring my ornaments, you know, looking at stuff. And he said, it's like someone's right on top of me. I had to ring you because when I got home, it was like someone was in the car. When I got home, it was like someone was in the lounge room with me. When I went to work today, it was like someone was on the train standing right next to me. And I'm just like sniggering, looking at this girl, looking at him. So I've looked at her and I said, what's your name? Then she looked at me with that look of astonishment, like, what you can see me so this guy that i'm with when he heard me say what's your name he said you know my name it's i'll just make up one mike right my name is mike i said no mike i was actually talking to shelly i'd like you to introduce you to shelly he's looking around like who where what when what <laughs> and i said to him i looked it back at shelly and i said honey hello, would you like to stay here and have a chat with me? And she said, yes. So I looked back at this guy. I said, Mike, you can go home now. He said, well, I've only been here five minutes. And I said, well, it's all right. Shelley's going to stay here and we'll have a chat. So Mike left. Shelley stayed here for about three days. Sometimes she was just like you sitting in front of me, clear as um, physical as a human other times she was transparent and other times I just sensed where she was in the house. She'd been going over to Fraser back in 1978. They were running late for the ferry. She was in the back seat behind David, who was driving this car. I think it was a green Holden, to the truth. They're running late for the ferry. It's dark and it's raining. They're driving on a ro- um, dirt road. So basically over the three days, the information that I got from Shelley was that she remembered the swerving of the car in the water 
She remembered the car like starting to roll. Then instantly, she's beside David lying on the ground. Paramedics are there helping David and she's wondering why they're not looking at her and taking her to the hospital as well with David. So I was kept trying to ask her, darling, what year is it? I asked her what year it is. She said, it's 1978. And I said, well, honey, try and remember what happened between the time the car swerved until you were standing over David with the ambulance because that would have been a few hours. You know, back in 1978, someone would have had to drive past, then they would have had to go miles to get to a phone to call an ambulance. It would have taken hours back then to get help. She said, no, what are you talking about? It was instant. And I said, well, darling, try and think. It wasn't instant. Every time she got angry, she was, you know, she got very hostile with me. You don't understand. You're lying. And I said, no, darling, I'm not lying. I'm just trying to fathom what happened. Just explain your situation to me. All she wanted to do was to go to to the hospital and see how David was. So I ended up getting off my calendar off the wall and showing her the year. It was 2018. I said, darling, look at the time. You know, it's now 2018. What happened to you from 78 to 2018? It's decades long. You're a liar. I don't believe you. Then she stood up off my dining room table and she pushed the chair over. So, yeah, her energy pushed the chair over as she got up. So she stayed here for three days. After the three days, I thought, I've got to start writing down the conversations. So as soon as I talked to her, I'd just sit there with, like, my notepad writing down my questions so that she'd answer them. The conversation that I've written in my book, Ghost Exposed, that's pretty accurate because it was written down within minutes of her saying answers to my questions. Yeah, it's very detailed because she was one of the most prominent ghosts that have actually sat here with me telling me what has happened to her. Ultimately, with Shelley, why she left after three days is because I sat down with her Opened the por- I've got a portal here in my dining room. I opened the portal up. She could see it. She could actually see into it. She, she was looking inside and I said, darling, if you go in there, your family's in there, your mum and dad are in there, David might be in there too. Or option B, there's my front door. Because one thing with Shelley was she was very hostile. Um, not always, but she was very so stressed from her frustrations of not being able to get to the hospital that she was very upfront and very short with what she was saying. So I gave her this like ultimatum. I said, look, you can go into the portal or out my door. She actually did sit there and think about it for about half a minute. She was looking at the door, looking at my wall where the portal was. Then she just calmly stood up, flicked her hair because she had long... You know, back in the 70s, the flower power movement, the really long, like, light brown hair. Yeah. She flicks her hair over her shoulder, like, huh, type, you know, telling me, huh. Walks to my front door, walks through the door. Didn't even realise she didn't even open it. <laughs> anyway, she walks out the front door, so I followed her. I went out into my front yard and I watched her walking down the street. She did not accept she was dead. She yeah. did not remember The time when the car swerved to the time when the ambulances were there taking away David. 
So I even, you know, the questions I said to her, which I've outlined in my book, don't you understand here, they couldn't see you. Don't you understand that there was such a time delay between the car accident to when the ambulance would have arrived? But for her, it was just instant. She yeah. could not remember it, which, you know, you go back to movies, which is um, The Sixth Sense. Patrick, um, not Patrick Swayze, sorry, that's a different movie, Ghost. Bruce Willis mm. in The Sixth Sense. He was going to work every day. He couldn't understand why his wife couldn't talk to him. He thought they were breaking up because she wasn't talking to him anymore. He didn't realise he was dead. He he didn't remember what happened to him after the time that that bullet entered his body, which happened at the beginning of the movie when he got shot. But when he actually saw the wedding ring fall off his wife's hand, so he looked at his hand and he wasn't wearing it anymore. Then he looks down and sees all the blood from the bullet hole. He's now woken up to what actually did happen. They remember their memory. There is another little story. I will go there. Yeah. Um, because today is talking about psychic mediums and ghosts, etc. This involves a friend of mine called Rick. I had a lady here and I was doing an aura cleanse on her, which is just getting rid of bad energy off people. And straight away behind her, just here near my fireplace, mm. the whole wall opens up into a forest. Towards me is running this little boy, about 12-year-old, and he's absolutely hysterical because there's a man chasing him. He's either carrying an axe or a big machete. This man's running, this little boy's running towards me, help me, help me, help me. So I've got this woman in front of me and I'm watching this scene behind her and I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on here? The old, the man carrying this big weapon grabs the boy, takes him into like this woodshed. You know how a woodshed, the, there's one tall wall where the door is and then it comes down to about three foot high where they open the door and store their wood? This man drags him into this like little wooden structure. And I know what happened to him inside that shed. He obviously got killed. So he's reliving the final moments of his life where this man's chasing him with this either big axe or a machete. So this lady that I've got with me, I said, oh, my God, you can't believe what I just saw. I need a cigarette. So we went outside and had a coffee and I told her the story. Two days later, my friend Rick rings me and he said, funny thing. I said, what's the matter, Rick? And he said, I'm actually in Coles right now, all six, and the whole wall just opened up into a forest. And I said, what happened? And he said, there's this boy running towards me. And I said, don't tell me he's got like this lumberjack guy running behind him. And he said, yes. And I said, so why did you ring me? And he said, I've rung you because as the boy's running up to me in aisle six of Coles, Gosh. he yells out, "He, are you ready for this? The little boy yells out, help me, tell Linda to help me. So Rick rang me and said, you know what you've got to do, don't you? I do know what I've got to do because this little boy doesn't remember his death. The only way we can ever get them to pass over into that white light is for them to remember their death. And that for anyone would be the most gruesomely 
horrible situation to want someone to remember. So I don't generally go there with them unless they're psychologically ready for it. Shelley wasn't psychologically ready for it. So why do you think I'm a counsellor? Why do you think I've studied psychology? Because it's not so much just saying, oh, go to the white light, like that old lady in Poltergeist movie. You've got to understand, A, one, do they understand what's happened to them? B, are they ready to make that transformation into that difference of energy? I call that transmutation, energy transmutation, changing from the material being into our spirit form and then going to heaven. We transmute like a caterpillar going through that transition period. If they're not ready to proceed with that, they will never do it. So that's one reason why I don't allow people to ever turn, you know, just turn up and say, oh, I'll send them to the white light, I'll pull out the sage and pass them over. Yeah. It won't work. They won't go if they're not ready for it, okay? So I hope that answers the question. Yes, and I want to know if you were able to help that little boy. If he comes back to me, I'll ask him if he wants my help because he went to my friend and said, tell Linda to help me. He hasn't come back. It's been about a year now. He hasn't turned up again. But if he does, it's going to be a very sad day for me because I know what I've got to face with him. Allow him to remember what happened to him in that woodshed. Do you think that what you saw was something that took place <clears throat> in Australia or, or somewhere else and in the, in the distant past or was it contemporary? So this is where we've got to remember. There's I've no got an accent. Yeah. We've yeah. all got accents. Yeah. I've had ghosts here that speak German. I've had ladies here speaking Italian at me. Do I speak Italian? I don't know what they're saying. So this kid, it was English. Was he Australian? Possibly. I remember his clothes. He had a T-shirt and shorts on. Mm. That could be from anywhere from now back to the 19, even in the 1800s. So I look at the man that was chasing him. He had a funnelette shirt on. Mm. He was like a lumberjack. So I've got to look at his clothing and think, okay, that could be from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Even now people still wear those thick flannel vest things. So I don't know what era he was from. I don't know where he was from. So it's up to him to tell me that information. You know, if someone comes to us and say, okay, I died on this date at that location, then you can research it. Then you can investigate yep. what if there was any documentation of it and then proceed. Did you do that with Shelley? Because she told you Fraser Island, she told you 1978. She was only 17. She yeah. didn't really... She, you know, when she spoke, it was like, you know, you know? Like, yeah, you know? like a teenager. Absolutely. Getting information out of any teenager is, hello, good luck. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, she wasn't giving up much. So you didn't you know, have her surname or anything? No. No, no yeah. I didn't get her surname. Yeah. Her name was Michelle, but oh. everyone called her Shelley. Because at one point there, I actually said, Michelle, you know, like a mother figure, <laughs> Michelle. And she went, don't you call me Michelle, it's Shelley. I don't like being called Shout Michelle. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, her name was Michelle, but everyone called, you know, in her lifetime, everyone called her Shelley. Okay. Yeah. So while we're still on the topic of ghosts, and we've got lots to talk about, but um, I do <laughs> want to just clarify, there's always a little bit of confusion surrounding the various types of manifestations. So we've got 
imprints, we've got ghosts, we've got spirits. I thought this might be a good opportunity for you to clarify what's what. Sure. Okay. I'll just plug my book again. Yeah, please. Plug away. Ghosts Exposed. It actually explains all this. Now, that book is about 110 pages and it explains what happens, how they manifest, what they can do. But I will give you in a nutshell right now. First thing you've got to remember here is there is a there is a very big difference between a ghost and a spirit. Ghosts are those who stay earthbound. They do have different options of why they're existing. One is they know they're dead. The other is they don't know they're dead. Okay? So when you've got a ghost in like a house, they either do or they don't know they're dead. So when they manifest, a lot of times if they're using their emotional frequency, that's when they can move things, which when you look at the movie Ghost, the subway guy, the ghost on the train, was teaching Patrick Swayze how to use his energy to move the can. So the more energy that we build up like an emotion in our belly, the faster then we can actually move an object because we don't have hands anymore. So how did they come through? Generally, they can come through, it all depends on their energetic level at that time. You know, some days I'm strong and I feel like I could run a marathon. The next day I'm, oh, God, I'm so tired today, I want to go to sleep. So it depends on how much energy they have on a set moment is what they come through with. So basically the first thing that they can come through as is a spark or an orb little white light that you'll see just this little boop, like a little flare mm. of energy. You may hear a little knock like and you think, oh, I just heard a little noise. So that takes a lot of energy just in itself to do that because they're coming from their dimension into our dimension and to actually manifest in our world. Then they can come through as more manifestation where you may see a hand, you may see the dog's tail, like I see the dog Mm. running around my dining room table, I just see his tail. I don't see his body or his head or his legs, it's just his tail as he's running past. I have seen most of his body, I have seen him like a full-blown dog in my house. So it depends on, again, their energy when they do manifest. So as I said, it takes so much energy to come through that when they actually appear as full apparitions, which is what I look like right now, that takes a lot of energy to stay in that state once they have created that manifestation of their energy. So that's why ghosts don't generally hang around very long. You'll see them just like walk and then they'll disappear because their energy disperses and they have to re-energise themselves, okay? Spirits, on the other hand, they're the ones who go to heaven Like in the movie Ghost, Patrick Swayze got killed. He saw the white light. He could have gone to it and then he would have gone to heaven. But he preferred to stay at Earthbound because he was more passionate about looking after Molly, his wife played by Demi Moore. He saw the white light. If he'd gone to heaven, he would then come through to me as a psychic medium, as a spirit. Most spirits come through as a wisp of energy. If you look at someone like John Edwards, who I've studied for years, by the way, he'll stand on stage and he'll say something like, oh, I've got a lady here 
She's telling me her name is Jenny, Joni, Julie, Janet. Because what we hear is that instant energy hit. So if you've got someone whose name is, say, Samantha, to say the word Samantha takes three syllables. So what we generally hear is Samantha. And then we know it's three syllables, but you've got to fill in the, the blanks. So a name like Julie, you'll hear it as Julie or Julie. So you can hear the two syllables to the name. And then you've got to actually put it out to the audience. Okay, who knows the Julie, the Joni, the Jenny, whatever yeah, other name. It's a little bit lost in translation. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah. So it comes through as like an energy hit because it does depend on how much energy it takes to come through. But then um, some of them do come through and they can sit there and actually tell sentences. My name is Samantha. I was her mother. Mm -hmm. So you can get all that information and that one burst of energy that comes through, okay? Generally, those spirits do not take on humanistic form like now, um, like a ghost can, because they do come through from a different um, dimension altogether. Ghosts, I say they're on the fifth dimension. Spirits in heaven, now I know through science we've now identified about 28 different dimensions. I'm going to put a three in front of that. It's like the 300th dimension mm. is heaven because it's so out of our reach yet with our scientific theoretical analysis of the universe that we still haven't found that God particle. So spirits generally come through in like little energy hits. They'll let you smell their flowers. Yeah. You'll smell their perfume. They'll give you a little hug so you think, oh, there's somebody next to me. They'll come through with that presence without just without the manifestation with it associated to it. Whereas a ghost, because they're not far from our dimension, they can come through and actually move things around and create havoc for the living. Thank you so much. That's really helpful. There's an experience of yours that I just find <coughs> fascinating and there's, you know, many obviously. You had a phone call from heaven. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, I've had a few phone calls. I love it. I've had a few phone calls. My grandmother died in 2001. My dad rang me at 5 o'clock in the morning and said, your grandmother just died. I was the first to the hospital. I got into bed with her, so I was cuddling her when my auntie turned up. That didn't go down too well. <laughs> anyway, three days later, I was, I was working at the time for Westpac Bank in the city in Queen Street in Brisbane, and I'm walking through the Maya Centre at lunch. Now, we're talking about a very, very busy mall in the city. Thousands of people around, especially at lunchtime. I had one of those old Motorola flip phones, and it started ringing. Now, I'll give you a little bit of backstory here. My mum wanted my grandmother to be buried over at Lutwich Cemetery with my grandfather, which was her husband. The, the cemetery said that because my grandfather was in one plot, it'd be a pain through council to get him exhumed to put her in there with him. So they could have not been able to do it. So mum was in a bit of a tears, <laughs> having a little stress attack because she wanted them both buried in the same plot. You know, they couldn't be side by side. They had to be on top of each other. Mm. So there I was walking three days later after her funeral, um, sorry, after her death, 
walking through the Maya Center with all these hundreds of people around, my phone rings. So I looked at my screen because it was a flip phone and on the front it said Nan. Nan didn't have a mobile phone. She wasn't in my contacts because, hello, she did not own a phone. So I opened the phone and I put it to my ear and I said, Nan, is that you? Her voice, because, hello, I knew her quite well. Yes, dear, how are you? I said, Nan, how are you? You know, where are you? And she said, oh, I'm okay. But I, I can't stay long because you've got to remember this takes a lot of energy to come through. I can't stay long, she said. And I said, well, what's the matter? And she said, well, you've got to ring your mum, tell her to be home at 10 o'clock tomorrow because the funeral home's going to ring and say everything's okay to put me in with Jack, her husband, who was my grandfather. Then she says, I've got to go now, honey. Beautiful. You know, it was lovely. I started crying. I went outside into the Queen Street Mall and I'm like, well, you know, my grandmother just died. You know, she just died and she's just rung me. So but I thought, I'll ring my mum. So I rang my mum. Oh, my gosh. I said to my mum, mum, Nan just rang me. <laughs> and she's, what? <laughs> you know, total disbelief, blah, blah, blah. So I told mum what Nan said about the funeral home ringing tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Mum said, oh, we're not going to be home. I've got a doctor's appointment. And I said, well, mum, you've got to be home at 10 o'clock. So the next day at about 25 past 10, my phone rings and it's my mum. Soon as I picked it up, I didn't even have time to say, hi, mum, how are you? First thing she says was, what did you do? And I said, what? About what? You rang the funeral home. You've organized, you organized this, didn't you? I said, what? How could I? I don't even know what funeral home you're using. She said, no, I don't believe you, Nan, rang you. She wouldn't ring you. She would have rung me. Oops. <clears throat> I said to mum, well, tell me what happened. She said, the phone rang. 10 o'clock. It was a funeral home saying that we can put mum in with your grandfather. Everything's going ahead for next week for the funeral. So what Nan had told me on the phone was true. It did happen that way because you've got to remember she's in heaven. There's no time. So she knows what's going to happen in three days. So she knew to ring me. Obviously, you know, Nan and I had a couple of discussions. Nan had some gifts as well. Um, so, hello, if you think it's hereditary, that may be where it came from with me. But at the end of the day, Nan trusted me. She knew mm. that I'd listen. She knew that I was the one out of the family that she could talk to and let people know. You know, if she'd rung any of my other aunties, mum's sisters, they would have all freaked out on the phone and not listened to her. So <clears throat> it was an honour, you know. It was an absolute honour that she rang me. Sorry, I was just going to say that's such a wonderful story. Yeah, well, she's not the only one that's rung me. My neighbour rang me. Yeah, do you want to hear that story yeah. about Roy? Do you <laughs> want to go into Roy? Okay, Roy, I moved into my house here about five and a half years ago. My house is quite close to my neighbours, just out the back of my door. It's only about 10 feet to his back door. He was in his 80s when I moved in. His name was Roy. Um, he'd come out his back door in the morning and yell out, Linda, do you want a copy? So I'd go out the back and we'd have a smoke and a chat at the fence. Roy died about three years ago. 
He still turns his lights on, pots and pans still move when he does his washing up at night. He's happy to stay there. I've been into his house a few times and he's still in there. I've seen him. Other people at my house, I've had parties here and we all see his TV on. There's no power in his house. There's no electricity. So how does the lights turn on? His energy creates that energy to turn on the light bulbs because there's no energy in his house. So this one day, I've woken up in the morning and his back door is open. Someone's tried to get in there that night. I rang up my neighbour across the road who also knew him and I said, oh, look, I've got to go over and check out Roy's house. Do you want to come with me? So she came over here. We went around to his house and we secured his back door. When I, and as we were walking back home, my neighbour said to me, oh, look, I'm going to go home now. I'll talk to you later. So I've come into my own house and I'm making a coffee and I went outside, pardon me, near his back door. My phone rings and it says no caller ID. And I thought, oh, gosh, is this Telstra? Should I answer it? <laughs> so I answered it and this old man says, Linda. As soon as he said Linda, I recognised the voice. It was Roy. He said, are you still here? And I said, oh, no, darling, I'm not. I've come home. I'm having a coffee. And he said, okay, I've got to go now. And then he hung up. So I've got that phone log in my book, Ghosts Exposed, so people can see that this really happened. 5th of June it happened, I think was the date. So I've got to look at what he said. Are you still here? Because I've just been at his house. He wants to know if I'm still inside his property. So what a lovely old man ringing me, you know, because that took a lot of energy to actually use the that phone. That is lovely. Um, yeah, so they do ring me. I've had a couple of phone calls over the years, but I like talking about my grandmother because that was personal to me and, yeah. you know, just the disbelief and the untrusting family perspective out of it. Um, with Roy, though, I love using him because I've actually got the phone log that shows his call. Pity I didn't record it because that would have been awesome. Well, yeah, but um, how, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a trickier thing to do. I just want to ask, do you have a TV or a radio on at the moment in the background somewhere? Just the heater. Oh, okay, because I feel like I can hear, <laughs> it's almost like there's a TV on in another room, not the heater. I feel like I can hear just some faint voices as if there's a TV on in the other room. That's what I can hear. You okay. will find, darling, this house is always active. Yeah, so that's, while you were telling me the Roy story, it was all there in the background. Yeah. It's well, I hope that it's, I, I hope it's come through yeah. on your yeah. audio. I think it will. Because I'll let you know, darling, I'm here alone. I am here alone. The cat's outside on the chair asleep. My daughter's at school. I'm here at home alone today. I'll send you the um, file later so that you can. Yeah. yeah it'll be interesting <clears> also to, to hear whether the audience picks it up as well. But that's, that's And the other thing done. I wanted to mention earlier when you were talking about how the spirits manifest very often as a spark of light, just as you said that, there was a little spark to your left just above oh, that. Oh, well, they're probably. <laughs> darling, I don't live here alone. No. You know, I've got to. They respect me, I respect them. You know, so it is interesting what does happen in the house. It's yeah. fascinating. So, Linda, 
it's just so intriguing to speak with you. And <laughs> I'd, I'd like to get a little bit of a sense before we move on to hear about your NDE in a minute. Um, I'd just like to get a sense of what life was like for you as you're, say, in your 20s, 30s. You know, there's such busy phases of life for us. Yes. Trying to juggle the physical world and all our commitments and whether it be study or work or parenthood or all three. Yeah. What was that like for you trying to juggle those obligations while at the same time having these experiences and knowing full well that there's another world? that most of us aren't privy to. That's right. How do, you, um, how do you navigate that? Very hard sometimes. I've worked since I left school. I ended up being a manager with Australia Post, travelling all over Queensland as a relief postal clerk back in the 80s. I got involved with a man. He used to call me the witch because of things that I just knew and did. He thought it was a party trick. We'd go to a party and he'd say, oh, Linda, tell him about something that he doesn't, that I, nobody else knows, blah, blah, blah. That was a bit of an embarrassment for me, to tell you the truth. So we were together. That was my first husband because, you know, I tell people like Sylvia Brown, I've had three husbands. You know, I'm like the um, Liz Taylor of the science, um, the, sorry, because I just heard a bang in my kitchen. <laughs> doesn't stop here, though. Oh, you know, yeah, because I'm, I'm now tuning in because you've just said that you just saw that thing. So now I'm just tuning in to see if there's someone here. You know, You're the Liz Taylor of the psychic world. I really am, Dale, you know, because, well, he couldn't, he was fine when good things happened. Mm. When I dreamt the Melbourne Cup three days before it ran, I saw the winning horse. It was actually that Let's Elope and the rider the jockey was Stephen King, which you've got to look at the connection here. There's a connectivity with psychic abilities. You need that connection yes. when we get a reading, etc. Um, that's why I like seeing photos, etc. When I do readings, we won twenty five thousand dollars that week. Oh wow! He was happy going up to the RSL saying, "Oh, we've won all this money because Linda dropped the race." But then, you know, you look at the bad stuff that happens, plane crashes, car crashes, people dying that I knew like days before. He didn't want to know about it, you know. He, um, it, I, I think it scared him a bit. Um, but, you know, each to their own, we separated and went our own ways. I was working for Australia Post and it wasn't so much that I wasn't a psychic. It was more that I didn't have the time to invest in learning what I could do back then. Because back then I was in my early 20s, married to a new guy, we'd just bought a house, you know, distraction, distraction, yeah. distraction, yeah. distraction. Then after we broke up, I ended up going to America where I had my near-death experience. They, It was like the universe said to me, you know what, Linda, no more of these distractions. You want to do this, we're going to put you into the position where you're going to have to do it. That's virtually how I feel about it. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week. Please tune in to the next episode, part two of Linda's extraordinary life story, where she's going to share all about her near-death experience. And it's got some facets that I've never actually heard anywhere else, just some really extraordinary stuff. And we're going to hear all about how her life panned out, how the NDE let her know that being a psychic medium was the correct life path for her and so much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much for listening.
Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.